0: Welcome to the Voice of Retail. I'm your host, Michael LeBlanc. This podcast is brought to you in conjunction with Retail Council of Canada. Emily Hayward is obsessed. The co-founder and chief brand officer of Red Antler was my very special guest recently at Retail Council of Canada's Store 2021 Thought Leadership Conference, so I thought it only appropriate to bring our conversation onto the podcast. We talk about how our agency is now the go-to agency for retailers looking to create brands that people want to talk about and what it takes to build and sustain a remarkable brand. We discuss lessons learned from her career working with top companies such as Casper, Box, and Allbirds, and delve into the key concepts she unpacks in her recent book, Obsessed, Building a Brand People Love from Day One.
1: I think to a certain degree, and it's definitely true with retail marketers, we've all become victims of data in the sense that there's just, Mm -hmm. there is so much data and it is powerful. And like, it's hard not to kind of just become addicted to that and forget that like, yes, of course, like we've got the data, we should use it, we should like optimize as much as we can, like, you know, get those conversion numbers up.
0: Let's listen in now. Emily, welcome to Store 2021. How are you doing this morning? I am great. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I'm thrilled to have you back on the mic, so to speak, and have the chance for you and I to share. You and I have met before. I've, I've had the pleasure of interviewing you for uh, my Remarkable retail podcast. And so while many of the people out there could read about what you do and all that, tell us a little bit more about Red Antler and yourself and why you've become such a great go to destination for people looking to create powerful brands, powerful retail brands.
1: Absolutely. So Red Antler is a company that my co-founder and I started 14 years ago. And it's hard to remember now, but things looked very different 14 years ago. Sometimes I say to team members, there was no iPhone and they look at me like I'm 100 years old. Um, But at the time that we started Red Antler this new wave of businesses was just getting going. The startup scene in New York was really young and nobody was talking about the importance of brand for early stage companies. We were still very much in the era of the lean startup and get out there, test your way to success. Iterate was the buzzword of the day. And our hypothesis at the time, which remains true to today, is that the sooner you can start thinking about the, your brand, the more set up for success you'll be as a business. And the brand is not something to sort of tackle later once you figure out all the important right. stuff, but really can be a driver of business growth. So that's at the heart of who we are as a company. You know, Fast forward to today, our business is split among pre-launch startups. That's still a huge part of what we do, as well as later stage and even established companies who are looking to think differently and, and really want to behave more like a startup or, you know, business of the future.
0: Well, at really looking forward to this morning. And I wanted to talk about your book a little bit. Uh, it's a great book. Anyone should, you know, run, not walk to their local bookstore and pick it up. Obsessed building a, uh, building a brand people love from day one. So there's the book, uh, make sure and pick it up. It's a great read. Uh, It is very practical. I want to pull out a couple of the words right from the title. Two words always jumped out at me, love and day one. And, you know, sometimes I've been writing brand briefs myself and and those words don't typically find their way into the brand brief right away. Like you feel like I want to, you know, own a category or I want to, you know, be meaningful. But those are very powerful words. So what? You know, how do you how do you frame that with new brands or brands that are looking for a bit more uh, acceleration to get that acceleration point so quickly? Tell me about the framework and how you approach it.
1: So, first I want to say in terms of day one, it's also never too late <laughs> to start doing the <laughs> right thing. And sometimes I think more established businesses are like, Well, that's all well and good if you're starting from too late scratch. now. Yeah. But, we have a 30 year legacy to contend with. And of course, that has its own challenges, but I don't want anyone to be mm-hmm. discouraged by the phrase day one. I think that, you know, what that philosophy is really about, again, is the importance of baking brand into who you are as a business and not just seeing it as a layer that sits on top. So I think it starts with clarifying a fundamental like misconception that a lot of business owners have where they think that brand is a logo or a name they sort of confuse yeah. the expressions of their brand with the definition of brand and i've had many founders or even you know established companies say to me like oh yeah we don't need a brand we have a logo but what we really need is help with our website messaging and email strategy and i'm like no 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 that all of that is your brand and all of that contributes to the relationship you have with your customers and i do think that these days you need to aim for love like that may sound like an extreme word but we're living in an era where consumers have so much more choice so much more information right at their fingertips you know back in the day you just sort of had to buy the brand of detergent that your mom bought because that was what was available and it was the only one you'd heard of and that's who could afford a national tv campaign now you can like go online, research the founders, read about the ingredients, what's their packaging philosophy. And amidst mm. all that choice, the bar is so much higher, but the opportunity is also so much greater.
0: I wanna connect that philosophy with something you said at the very beginning around how you think about, and again, it's whether you're launching a brand new brand or you know reinvigorating an existing one, that kind of idea of the minimum viable product that kind of crept its way in from technology and software into business where you'd say, well, let's just get it going, and then we'll figure it out as we go, because you know we want to. It's fast paced, and you feel this urgency. How do you connect those two? Is it is it whoa? You've got to get this figured out, even if you haven't got A to Z in 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 the operating profile figured out. How do you how do you square that circle, so to speak, when you're talking to your clients?
1: Yeah, to me, it's about thinking about how competitive the landscape is how savvy consumers have gotten and setting yourself up to even have the opportunity to figure it out. So again, if we go back to how I define brand, it's really about understanding from the beginning, why are people gonna care about this business? And how do we make sure that the second they meet us, they have a sense of why they should care? And you know, I think a lot of times there's a temptation to, again, just sort of exactly what you're saying, get it out there, sort of see if it gets traction. But so much of what gives, something traction is the brand, right, is the way that the story is told and the connection that you form. It's so rarely the product itself is strong enough and differentiated enough that people are going to, you know, discover that on their own. So again, you know, I don't think it needs to be that you're you're going out of the gate spending millions of dollars on media or that you have, you know, your sort of 10-year plan solved, but I do yeah. think that you need clarity around what you stand for and why people should care.
0: You know, I, I, in our previous conversations, we've talked about how you will often talk with founders uh, who, you know, want to dent the universe and they think this idea almost doesn't need explaining. It's so self evident. Um, and I think some of us get caught in that trap, right? It's like, why do I need to be thinking about this? It's obvious. But it feels like sometimes you're, if not the governor of those things, maybe, they, and if not splashing cold water on it, sometimes you're just saying, well, let's unpack that a bit because there's really one Google and, you know, those things don't happen very often. How, what's your experience in that in talking to founders or brand managers or vice presidents of marketing as they come to you with ideas that just are well-ish formed but need a little more love, so to speak?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's a few things. First is that the cycle of competition has gotten so much shorter. Like It used to be that over a year, we'd see a trend playing out. Like, oh, a lot of people are launching businesses in clean beauty. Now within a month, we will often be meeting three different founding teams that are doing almost the identical thing. I mean, it's wow. insane. And I think it's because people are you know, witnessing the same trends, they're seeing the same white space, the same opportunities, and the barriers for launching a business have gotten so much lower. So that doesn't mean there aren't businesses that you know have proprietary technology or onto something really innovative, but there's bound to be another business that sort of sees the same opportunity. So that's one. Two is that we've actually done quite a bit of work with businesses that are a little bit further along in their journey who were first to market with something really innovative Mm -hmm. and are leading, but newer entrants into the category who are coming in that just look better and talk better and explain their benefit more clearly and don't have nearly Mm -hmm. as much credibility, nearly as much you know, sort of history and knowledge and expertise, but they're winning because they're doing a better job of convincing people that they're the right choice. So I think it's also about making sure you're set up to stay ahead and that you're not going to have a fast follow copycat who ends up leaping past you.
0: Um, It's a good segue to my next question was, and this is a very broad as a barn kind of question, but what do retail marketers get wrong? When they, when you meet with them, and when they talk to you, we, we, you know, as a community, we don't always get it right. Certainly, these days, uh, there's a lot, lot more questions than there are answers. But if there are things that jump out at you that you hear a lot, they say, "Listen, you're, you've already talked about, you know, a logo is not a brand, kind of base, base foundation." But anything else come to mind when you think of that?
1: I think to a certain degree, and this is definitely true with retail marketers we've all become victims of data in the sense that there's just, Mm. there is so much data and it is powerful. And like, it's hard not to kind of just become addicted to that and forget that like, yes, of course, like we've got the data, we should use it. We should like optimize as much as we can, like, you know, get those conversion numbers up. But we also need to remember like the power of surprise. And, you know, if everyone's running the same promotions and sort of leaning into the same seasonality and it just, it gets boring. And I think the brands that like really, again, form that connection are the ones that, yes, are doing all those things, I'm not saying ignore it, but then are also thinking about like, what's something small we can do that's just gonna make someone's day and that totally hasn't been proven or tested. Um, So that's one. And then, you know, I also see, a lot of brands, and also true in the retail space, that are so focused on growing their customer base that they forget. It's almost like you you take your your spouse for granted. You know, it's like, how are we going to keep this romance fresh for the people who loved us first, right? Um, and yeah. how do we make sure that we're putting just as much, if not more, energy into retention as we are into acquisition.
0: You know, I love that last part because I've been at many meeting tables where you come up with fantastic acquisition campaigns and sometimes they feel a bit uh, a bit alienating to your existing customers, customer base. Hey, I've been loyal for so many years. It feels like that. I, I guess the potential for that is pretty pretty great when you kind of layer in all the different types of media that you can now deploy that are out there that kind of go past your loyal customer base. And are just consumed as media, you know, whether it's a TikTok or Instagram or any of the other platforms. Is that is that another risk? Like when I think of how I see brands using social media, that's evolving pretty quick. Is there any tips on that where you want to kind of try to stop and understand that connective tissue back to your brand?
1: Yeah, again, I think that, you know look, there's so many opportunities now to make a splash and, you know, get buzz. But I think, again, the brands that I've seen that are doing the best sort of five years down the road, 10 years down the road are the ones that Mm. are building long-term relationships and figuring out how to continue to fuel that fire. And social is an incredible place to do that because you have this direct conversation with your consumer in a way that we couldn't have even imagined 20 years ago. I mean. When I started, you know, my career in traditional advertising, if you had told me that people would be choosing to follow what's basically just like one long commercial, I would have been like, "Wait, what?" You know, we were terrified of TiVo at the yeah. time.
0: <laughs> right, right. It's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna annihilate everything. We're not gonna yeah. be able to talk to anybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah crazy, right? Um, all right, so I can't have you on the mic with your experience and not talk about your insights around the COVID year. And I was, I was taking another look through your book and I I always kind of pick it up and I refresh my memory, but there's one part where you're talking about, you know, creating connection as a, as a brand. And, you know, this, the, the headline here is we're all in this together. And, and, you know, it got me thinking about how um, I don't know if you need to create that in your brand, but sometimes you need, you need a gathering point or a mustering point. And it feels like, you know, for good or ill, mostly ill, COVID has kind of been this galvanizing thing that happened to every company all at the same time. It created basically a mission, right? Uh, Businesses get through it, take care of our customers, retailers, take care of our employees. Um, As you reflect on the past 18 months, I mean, we can kind of see the end of the COVID era, the goalposts keep moving a little bit, um, but we're kind of there. It's been 18 months of change, about are the new habits? How are you thinking, two-part question, how are you thinking about consumer behavior habits, in other words, post-COVID or after the last 18 months? And how are you thinking businesses should think about their relationships with consumers and and their brand, given the context of the, the time we're in?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that we now have a much greater advantage, right? Because when COVID hit, nobody could have anticipated its impact and every business was left scrambling and some were really lucky to be in categories that thrived and others you know yeah. had a really tough time i think now there's a little bit more i mean knock on wood but i feel like there's a little bit more predictability about what we're facing in the coming year and i think that there are going to be plenty of unique challenges that come from this hybrid lifestyle that we're all finding ourselves in. Hybrid in terms of, like, we're still spending a lot of time at home, but we're also suddenly having to, like, show up in the world a little bit more. Hybrid in terms of, like, yes, we want to start traveling, but we still feel nervous, you know. And I think that businesses that can think about what are the consumer insights that are attached to that kind of, like, one foot in, one foot out moment that I think is going to last a pretty long time um, mm. will absolutely thrive. I mean, I've been Googling. So, if anyone here at the conference has a suggestion for me, I've been Googling work pants that feel like sweatpants, and I have not found a good answer. <laughs> so, you know, it's like get to the top of Google search results on that, and you'll at least have one customer right here.
0: <laughs> All, right. All right, there's a business, de- business development for our audience yeah. out there. I do have an idea, actually. I, I think I have found those, uh, but I'll mention it off, okay. off mic. Um, you know, we started the day uh, with a great presentation from IKEA and, and, you know, nested in the IKEA brand. What a powerhouse brand IKEA is. I mean, you know, the, the stats and the work they do and their deep, deep connectivity to sustainability. You know, now they're, now they're making a billion plant-based meatballs or plant balls, which is kind of fun. Uh, of course, now you know that everyone is talking about in one way, shape or form, sustainability. I was saying to a, a fellow marketer, i mean there's no vaccine for the environmental challenges we've got these there's no quick fix there's no nothing getting out of this soon. I see a lot of brands reaching for a connection to sustainability to impact. You talk about impact. Uh, we all talk about ESG more so I, I it feels like how do you own that? Thing of sustainability and connect that to your brand when everybody is basically trying to own the same thing is it an ownable proposition for your brand or is it just now table stakes like we don't all have the resources of, of an organization like ikea but is it is it table stakes or is there still something you can do that that helps your brand and makes you stand out and connect to your customers
1: i want to say both like mm. i hope it's Table stakes, you know, when we meet with a new company and they don't have a plan around sustainability, especially if it's a company that makes a physical product and is engaging in, you know, packaging exploration, I'm like, what are you doing? (laughs) Like, I just, I do not think that any company should be existing without a strategy around sustainability, both from, you know, good business practice and also just from like, let's, Save ourselves. while We still can. We're all human beings. We have to live here. But there's so much more that we could be doing. And I think that there absolutely is still opportunity to differentiate, to go the extra mile um, and to stand out. And I think it's something that people are going to only care more and more and more about.
0: Yeah, I I was interviewing a a gentleman, Sir Ronald Cohn, and he's got a book called Impact. And really, he was a leader in the venture capital impact space, is a leader. And he was telling me about this app that uh, is launched in France where people can can scan items on a shelf and understand their end-to-end impact. So this feels like it needs more attention than perhaps we're giving it. You know, the technology is evolving, but, you know, can you see that being a a major part of a brand platform where they're they're doing that kind of deep work. I think the answer to it is, is yes. Um, I
1: I think that's so interesting. And I think that we are seeing that movement happen in terms of ingredients, you know, particularly in the beauty and skincare industry, Um, you know, less about sustainability, more about health and safety, but the two are obviously connected. And I think Mm -hmm. there's just more and more um, desire and, and demand for that kind of transparency and accountability. So I I think it's great. I just I only want to see us moving in that direction and I think that if businesses recognize that this is a chance to stand out and get positive attention and gain more customers like that's only going to, you know, sort of help all of us in the long run.
0: We started the uh the week with uh, I had the opportunity to interview uh, Michael Snyder from Bunnings and Bunnings is a powerhouse in Australia. They're a a home improvement retailer and they are interesting from a brand perspective and you would really appreciate this. I'm sure that not only are they the number one retail brand, but they're one of the most, if not the most trusted of all brands. And, you know, our discussion, and I wanted to get your thoughts on it as we kind of go away from tactics into strategies. How do you, as an organization, start to inject these brand attributes into the DNA of the organization? You know, my question to Michael was, it's one thing to get to number one. It's another thing to stay there. And, and it feels very cultural more than tactical. How, how do you have that broader conversation? what's your advice to retail marketers about, listen, the brand is more in the logo, the brand is what we do, but it's got, it feels like it has to be right in the DNA if it's not already there. How do you, how do you have that conversation?
1: I 100% agree and you know I've seen it go well and I've also seen it go poorly. You know, I think especially mm. because so much of our work is with venture backed startups, there's an incredible pressure to grow and scale yeah. and in in the sad cases, you know, companies sort of forget what made people fall in love with them in the first place and abandon those principles in a quest to just get bigger and bigger and bigger. So I understand that struggle. I think it's a—it's probably the hardest thing that a growing business faces um, and it's all the challenges that sort of come with success. But I think, Michael, I think you articulated it really well. I think it is about recognizing that your brand needs to be inward-facing just as much as outward-facing and that your team are actually your most important audience um, and, and making sure that everyone on the team, particularly new people understands the values that got you where you are and continues to implement those values as they think through new strategies. Um, Because if they don't, they're just going to come in and have tactics that sort of undercut that specialness, that uniqueness that that helped you get out there from the start.
0: Yeah, I've been at, again, I've been at tables where you could see that little uh, drip irrigation erosion of your brand. It's like, we need to do this to secure a particular part of the market. It's yeah, it's a little off brand, but then you know, it's that creeping incrementalism that could kind of add up to be a bit frightening. Um, you know, I I kind of, you know, you can imagine that that happening. Let's talk about um as you step back and understand your world running an agency, the companies you deal with, you, we talked about culture in this virtual world kind of where we started talking about, you know, it's nice to have you here in the virtual world. The pro is it's great to have you uh, coming in, expert for a global expert. The downside is we're not in person. It, how, what's your advice? What's your personal experience running your agency, trying to keep your culture together in a, you know, in this environment? Any, any tips at what works well? How do you inculcate new people in a culture? How do you, how do you keep it from eroding slowly? Because, you know, you're, you're not together. And, and is that even important anymore?
1: Oh, I think it's so important. And I wish I had all the answers. I'll be totally honest. I think this is something that we are struggling with. Um, like I imagine most companies and it's the most important conversation that we're having at a leadership level. Mm. Because Not only are we still predominantly virtual, but we have a ton of new employees, you know, like a lot of other companies, there's been a lot of turnover and people rethinking their life and other people joining. And sure. so, sure. you know, it's it's tough. I think that it's really important in the same way that a consumer-facing brand needs to do this for its consumers. I think it's really important that business leaders help people understand, like, why they're there beyond the day-to-day sort of list of tasks in front of them. And again, going back to what you're just saying about scaling a business, right? Like what is the philosophy that drives this business? Why do we make the decisions that we made way back when? Let's not take for granted that it's obvious. Um, Let's take the time to walk people through, oh, hey, here's why we do things this way, you know? And this was the thinking behind it. And these were the other paths we explored that we didn't go down. And it can be so easy in the normal course of business to just be like, we've got to get it done. But I think having those conversations, whether it's in small training sessions or large all hands meetings, or, you know, one-on-one of like, hey, you know that thing that's just a part of how we operate? Like, here's the origins of that. And here's the philosophy behind it. And we found that taking the time to have those conversations has been really, really helpful.
0: It's great advice. You know, when I talk to retail executives coast to coast, I ask them a question about this working environment and how happy they were from a productivity perspective. No other perspective than productivity. And and talking to a lot of executives, they ranked it like eight out of 10. We are very productive. It's it's you know, we we were afraid we weren't. It turns out we're very productive. But again, they express that same a uh, concern that you lose something in the soft tissue, you lose that cultural connection. You know, why did we do things that we started out? Do you see going forward, again, another fairly unfair question, putting your, you know, what's going to happen in the future hat. Do you see your organization and organizations you work with moving to a hybrid model and sticking with that, that kind of balance off the best of both worlds, get great productivity and get great innovation, creativity, and cultural adhesion. Can can you see a future like that?
1: So I think we have to. Um, and, you know, I know there are industries that are sort of calling everyone back. That is absolutely not in the plan for us. I think that it would be a disservice to our team. And I don't think that we can sort of take away the gains that people mm. have gotten from having more flexibility, whether that's as a parent or even just somebody who like loves to go for a run right after work and doesn't want to be dealing with a commute, you know? So we are determined to make hybrid work. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but I don't see an alternative. Um, It doesn't, you know, I think that this forced us to realize we can do it. And now we have to embrace the gains and and solve the challenges. All
0: right. Last question for you. Um, As you look across the broad canvas of brands and retail, anyone's that jump out at you as you kind of look back and reflect on recent history even before even in the before time that really stand out in your mind you say wow of course your clients you've got some amazing clients feel free to articulate them uh but anyone stand out in your mind to go wow these these are some folks to watch and they're they i think are on the right path to to being as steve dennis would say remarkable
1: how about I give you one client and one non-client, just so it's, it you know, unbiased. Balance. Um, <laughs> so I think a client of mine that's just did a phenomenal job all through COVID and continues to be really adaptive and at the forefront of, of culture is a brand called Judy, which actually sells emergency preparedness kits. Um, huh. So, you know, fortunate, you could say they launched about a month before the pandemic hit, but I <laughs> also good think- timing. It is, but this wasn't just a lucky coincidence. I think the founders recognize that, you know, due to climate change and other forces, we're only going to be facing more and more and more of these unexpected scenarios. And most people don't have a plan. So they really see themselves as a catalyst for getting people to think about, like, what do I do in case of a hurricane or a flood or, you know, a global pandemic? Like, we have to expect the unexpected. And and they're right at the front of that conversation and also sell very well thought out products. But the products are almost like a foot in the door to get people behaving more responsibly and and giving them more tools to take care of their, their family and themselves. So I love that brand. And then from a non-client perspective, I'm personally just a huge fan of the brand Hill House. They make a dress called the nap dress. Um, going back to my sweatpant comment mm-hmm. earlier, I'd say it's right. like the one piece of clothing I've bought in the past couple year, you know year and a half that isn't athleisure. And it's just incredibly comfortable, but also looks nice. And I think they've done such a good job of you know, being like relevant for the moment, but also recognizing that we still need a little bit of aspiration in our lives. And they've just balanced that really, really well.
0: Well, that's great. Thank you for sharing both of those uh, wonderful examples. So the my guest, Emily Hayward, the agency, Red Antler, the book, Obsessed, needs to be on your shelf, needs to be on your night table. How can and where can people go to learn more about you and get in touch and all that great stuff? I'm
1: on Instagram, just as Emily Hayward. Um, And of course, Red Antler is too. And um, Red Antler's website is probably the best place to understand what we're all about.
0: Well, Emily, such a treat again to see you uh, virtually. We've actually never met, but uh, that too shall come. I look forward to doing that. And thank you so much for joining us and and sharing your wisdom and insights and experience. Uh, Much, uh, much appreciated. And I wish you continued success and, and a great rest of your week.
1: Thank you. Back at you. I feel like we know each other. Have a great day. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.
0: And thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of The Voice of Retail. Be sure and follow the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy podcasts so you don't miss out on the latest episodes, industry news, and insights. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a rating review as it really helps us grow so that we continue to get amazing guests onto the show. I'm your host, Michael LeBlanc, president of Emmy LeBlanc Company, Inc. And if you're looking for more content or want to chat, follow me on LinkedIn or visit my website at emmyleblanc.co. Until next time, stay safe. Have a great week.